Hello, and welcome back to Venture Studio, the podcast where your host, Dave Lerner, entrepreneur, angel investor in 60-plus companies and director of entrepreneurship at Columbia University, interviews the angel investors and venture capitalists who make up New York City's entrepreneurial ecosystem. I am your producer, Kevin Weeks. This week's guest is Sean Lin Ma, the co-founder and CEO of Zola and an angel investor here in New York City. Zola is an awesome wedding registry service that you'll hear a lot more about during the interview, but I just wanted to say I'm a customer and I love it. Uh, If you're engaged or soon to be engaged, you should definitely check it out. Remember, all of our shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Venture Studio. And now I'm going to send it up to Dave to talk a little bit more about this week's episode. Hey everyone, our next guest is the brilliant and immensely talented Sean Lin Ma. She's the CEO of Zola. It's a wedding registry. They're venture-backed and they just announced a Series C funding of $25 million from Lightspeed Ventures. They've raised over $40 million in venture capital. A fascinating story. And yet I also wanted Sean to come on this show because she's really dipped a toe into angel investing herself. So for the past 18 months... She started to invest in companies, and we get a window into how she's approaching it, what she's thinking of, a lot of the tips that uh, she's sharing with us. So if you're an investor or you're thinking about becoming an investor one day, it's just great to see how she's approaching it. Very thoughtful, very strategic. Uh, And we get into the story of Zola, the immense success they're having, and what Sean learned during her time at Yahoo, and more recently as the product lead at the Guilt Group, and how that's informed how she and her co-founders are building Zola, um, and all the, the business model innovation they've done. Really fascinating stuff. Also, something I think will be really interesting to you is how her seed round was different from her A round and different from the B and very different from the C. She gets into the nuances of each round, which had different investors in each round, because at each juncture, the investors were looking for something completely different and she needed to adjust to that. So this is a real, um, gives us some real insight into how Every round is extremely different, and uh, entrepreneurs need to be aware of it and need to adjust to it. Um, fascinating stuff. And as I said, we dive into her uh, experience in these last 18 months as an investor herself. Um, I jokingly, jokingly say she's part of the guilt mafia, um, and so many uh, of, of these companies that have done very well, spawn new founders, new mentors, new companies, new innovation. And we see that happening with the, the guilt alumni, just as we're seeing it happening with the Etsy alumni. That's the story of great ecosystems. And we see that playing out here. Um, Sean also brings a very unique perspective uh, because she spent so many years out on the West Coast. She's a graduate of Stanford University. She worked at Yahoo for many years. And so she comes into New York City with a very specific lens and she shares her thoughts on how she sees our ecosystem unfolding um, and, and really cool insights into the values and culture uh, she and her co-founders are imbuing uh, at Zola. Really great stuff. I enjoyed it immensely, and I hope you do as well. Thanks. In the office, baby. Going up. Sean, it's great to have you with us. How are you? I'm great. How are you? 
I'm very well, thank you. Perhaps let's just dive into your company, Zola. In about three and a half years' time, you've emerged as this incredible, popular, leading wedding registry. So many of my students at Columbia rave about it. They've used it for their weddings. Uh, my good friend Kevin Weeks, the producer of this show, he and his wife use it for their wedding, and they rave about it. Why don't you tell us the story of Zola and what you and your team are up to these days? Sure. We started thinking about Zola in 2013, which happened to be the year that all my friends got married at the same time and was forced to buy from their wedding registries. And my co-founder and I had a long history in working in e-commerce, um, mostly at Guilt Group, where we had worked on product and user experience design there. And found that buying from my friends' wedding registries was one of the worst e-commerce shopping experiences around uh, for many reasons. One of them is that you were forced to to pick from a list of things that you weren't excited about, that you didn't think your friend was excited about. Um, the registries barely worked on a mobile phone and you just didn't feel like you really understood why your friend was registering for these very expensive plates and cups and spoons. Um, and then in speaking to my friends who were registering that year and I asked them, what is going on with your registry? And they all had a very similar response, which was, Wedding registry is the one of the worst parts of wedding planning. It's so painful. I couldn't deal with it. I just let my mother handle it. I don't even know what I'm registered for. Um, and so that was a light bulb because you think that it really should be one of the most fun parts. People are buying you gifts. You're imagining your, your life together, your home together. Uh, but it wasn't. And so we thought we could do a much better job to serve what couples really need and want today. Right, right. And it's, it's a wildly popular site. What, what did you sort of inject early on into the DNA of, of Zola to make it such a great experience for people? What, why, are, why are people and customers so delighted by the experience? So there were really three things that we kept hearing again and again from brides and engaged couples that we spoke to when we were designing the product. And and the first was they really want to register not just for products, but they also want experiences to do together and cash for things like honeymoons and home renovations because people getting married today are getting married at a much older age than ever before. They live together for the most part. And so they just don't necessarily want the same things that their parents registered for. So for, because of that, we created a registry where you can register for anything you want, all in the one place. And then the second big thing we heard was that couples today really want to make the registry reflect who they are as a couple in the same way that they like to share their photos, share their lives on Facebook, Instagram, and make their weddings beautiful and reflect them as a couple. Um, registry should also be as beautiful as the rest of your wedding and and show who you are as a couple and why you've asked for certain things and so we're the only registry where you can really personalize your um your collections of what you've registered for and give explanations upload photos and share why you're so excited about these things that you've put on your registry and then the third big light bulb we heard from couples was everyone complained the worst part about 
wedding registry before Zola launched was that gifts would just show up at your home when people bought them for you and you had no idea what was coming, who sent it, um, if you even wanted to keep it, and it was kind of overtaking your life before you were even ready to receive gifts. So our innovation here is that we only ship gifts to couples once they're ready to receive them, which means that uh, couples often will see what they've been gifted on Zola, but then wait until they come back from their honeymoon, look at what they've been given, and decide when they want to receive it. And we are also the only registry that lets you have full control over when you receive the things that people have purchased for you. And that all of those things together, I think, are fundamentally different based on what we heard couples want and have resulted in us being the fastest growing wedding registry in the country. Yeah, what, what an amazing uh, thought, right? You know, to build customer service, some elements <laughs> of customer service into something so important. You've spoken to uh, my class at Columbia a few years now, and we always love it when you, when you uh, come share your, your learnings with us. I remember you saying that you don't um, carry much inventory, if at all, that the brands are doing the, the drop shipping directly. How did you sort of come up with that aspect of the business? You're correct in that we are a drop ship business model, so we're, we're non-inventoried. And this was really one of the key things that I and my co-founders learned at Guilt Group where we had worked um, for a long time together and really gotten to the benefit of seeing what worked extremely well in that type of e-commerce company and what did not work and what were the lessons that we would um, take into account if we were to start something which we then, in fact, put into practice at Zola. So many lessons learned at Guilt. One of the big ones was that we did not want to take inventory because, A, we didn't think we had to because what was happening in the home industry was that um, a lot of the home brands and suppliers were starting to shift towards a dropship model, which meant that they were actually willing to dropship where they weren't, say, five, ten years ago. So that was a big shift, and actually that's what enabled us to do this business at the time that we did. The other thing about inventory that we learned previously is that it's very expensive as a business model. It's it's not always the most efficient use of capital. The cost of of, to the business is not just the cost of the inventory, but it's the cost to maintain all the inventory, whether it's the buying team to um, to pick and, and manage the inventory, the warehouse, the operations team, the shipping in and out of the warehouse. All these costs are often not taken into consideration when people are thinking about starting inventory e-commerce businesses and end up representing a lot of OPEX that you then have to figure out how to cover um, in the business. And so for that reason, we learned we would never want to, to work in inventory business again. But you saw, you, yeah, you had the domain expertise. You were in, in this world. You saw the trend where brands were doing it and you, and you, you figured out, well, maybe we can do it without inventory at all. Does it lead to when, when you don't have the control uh, over the inventory, how do you maintain that sort of seamless 
uh, super customer friendly experience that people have on Zolala with a return or, or God knows? Do you just try to eliminate issues up front? Well, how do you handle that? Optimizing for the best possible user experience was one of the things that we also learned previously. So I ran the guilt taste business at Guilt Group, which was the food, gourmet food business. And that was the biggest drop ship business within Guilt because you, when you're selling food, you really <laughs> need to be drop shipping that because uh, you don't want to necessarily be taking inventory and perishable products. Uh, and so I learned a lot from there about how do you manage this network of suppliers to, um, to make sure that they are in stock in the products that you're offering, that you can anticipate and forecast demand and, and manage um, a scorecard of assessing which partners are shipping out in the time frame that they've committed to, are shipping out in the way that you agreed to, whether it's the box, out-of-box experience or the, pack, the packing um, and the fragility of the item. And so all those learnings we then applied to when we were first starting Zola had learnt how do we build the back-end vendor platform to manage hundreds of different suppliers that all have different levels of technical sophistication. And, and so what we've built, which is really part of our secret sauce, is a way that um, small vendors right up to the biggest vendors can work with us to drop ship products in a way that is um, easy for them, but also make sure that they get it out to our customers in the shortest amount of time. And a part of that model that actually works extremely well for wedding registries is that people set up their registry seven months before they get married. So they are essentially telling us these are the products we expect to be receiving in the lead up to our wedding and using that insight into what the users are, are suggesting to us they will be receiving, we then can forecast extremely accurately based on models we built what products we expect to be shipping every week and we then provide forecasts to each of our partners around how much we expect to sell of each product and that's how we we try to mitigate any inventory challenges they may have on their side wow that's tremendous and, and i'm sure over the last three and a half years sort of this data intelligence layer that you've built in and you know has has deepened uh, in its sophistication and you've probably, I'm going to guess you've learned which brands, you know, you can work with more easily than, I mean, this must be getting better as, as the months go by. Exactly. And from day one, we had a feature on the site that we call the add to Zola button that lets couples pull in any product online from any site into their Zola registry. So if they really wanted to register for this specific tent or this specific sleeping bag and we didn't have it, they could pull it into their Zola registry using the, the add to Zola button, which is similar to kind of the Pinterest pin it button. And so from day one, we actually had great data around this is what people are telling us they want, they are going to <laughs> register for, they, they want to receive, and what we should add to Zola. And that also gave us great intel into 
what what are the brands we should prioritize? What are the products we should prioritize? And we quickly saw that certain key categories of products um, were too uh, shallow in terms of our merchandising assortment and we had to really go and prioritize those and get as many uh, for example kitchen appliances as we possibly could and so that's how we've been putting together our merchandising roadmap but it has also been very helpful for our vendor partners in that it lets us give them very clear expectations around if they were to work with Zola what would be the products that would most likely to sell and how much would they expect to sell? That's tremendous. And, and the relationships can deepen in that way because it becomes a real, a real uh, partnership. Uh, what, what are millennials uh, <laughs> wanting these days? Like, uh, are there certain, like your data must be very specific. Like, are they ordering yes. certain kinds of coffee pots, certain kinds <laughs> of linens? What, what, are, what are you seeing? What are the trends? So this was actually uh, one of the biggest surprises to me personally, because before we launched the product live, my hypothesis was that couples today, they're modern couples, they live together, they have everything they want. So they probably don't want as many of the traditional products that that you find. Um, and they probably want more things like cool experiences like wine tasting or um cooking classes together or bike riding. And what we found actually from day one through this add to Zola button was that couples did really want all the brands that you see on any other registry that we thought maybe they don't really want that, but they turns out they do. (laughs) And so things like, um, Le Creuset, all clad Dyson vacuum cleaners still, are very popular, but it turns out they want it all. So they want the the traditional registry items that are classics. They also want the cool new brands that you might see um, that are more direct-to-consumer brands like Parachute Home or GoPro or Nest or Canary. And they also want experiences like SoulCycle and cash and honeymoon funds to do with whatever they want. And so really what we see, the vast majority of registries have some combination of all of these things. Fascinating. The classics endure, but it's being ornamented by all the cool tech stuff, experiences, you know, working out, fitness, you know, but those big classic items and brands endure, it sounds like. Exactly. Um, You know, you're building such... A relationship with people at a at a very special time in in their lives with couples. Kevin has told me that, that you know he and his wife had this terrific experience. They love the brand um, as much as you're comfortable. Like I wanted to ask you, can can this you know eventually go into other verticals like apartment design and baby items and things like that? You know, just to 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 bring people into the Zola community for for longer. So that's a question we get asked a lot. And right now we have no plans or intention to go into anything beyond wedding registry. So we actually do see a lot of people create baby registries on Zola and they've kind of hacked the wedding registry to create a baby registry because they used it for wedding and so they loved it and they want to come back and use it again for their baby registry. We don't actually have any baby products on the site and we don't 
have any intention to do that anytime soon. Um, and the reason is that we really want to make sure we are the number one player in the wedding registry space. Uh, so wedding registries in the U.S. is a $19 billion market, and we don't think we're close to the number one player spot yet. So we still have a lot of work to do to get there, um, and we want to make sure we maintain focus and really nail that before we look to any other kind of registry. Right. You know, it's it's funny, you, you know, uh, the other day I was watching uh, Cheddar, which is this kind of new thing. I'm sure you saw. Oh, I love Chet. Twitter. Isn't it yes. great? Um, it's great. Talking about tech on Twitter, and and uh, they're on the floor of the stock exchange, but it's not on TV, and it's it's Twitter, and John Steinberg is doing it. Yeah. And uh, um, a friend of mine, Greg Marsh, who's the CEO of Kimi, uh, was being interviewed, and he's in the multi-billion dollar key industry. And, you know, it's like, key kiosks in all the big re, big box retailers and you can scan your key to the cloud and one of the vcs on the panel was saying well aren't you going to go digital one day how long are keys going to last and greg was like my friend keys have been here for hundreds of years the you know it's a multi-billion dollar industry we have massive demand the typical key lasts you know god knows how many 10 years a decade keys are going nowhere for a long time we're just going to stay focused and build a multi-billion dollar business i was very impressed with his uh his focus. <laughs> so uh, uh, your point is well taken about, about uh, weddings. Um, but, you know, when you said a lot of people have at, had asked you that question of where else, what other verticals you can get into, I'm sure some of the VCs asked you that over the years. Why don't we talk a little about your uh, funding experience? You know, you've just uh, announced your Series C uh, of $25 million, but how did it all begin? And share some insights, if you don't mind, from you know, how you raised money and who's involved, et cetera. Mm -hmm. When we first started in 2013, uh, we were brainstorming ideas of how do we make the wedding registry fundamentally better and different. And at that time, um, Kevin Ryan, who we had worked with for a long time at Gilt, who is the founder of Gilt and Mongo and Business Insider, amongst many other great New York companies, um, we're talking to him and he also said oh I've always loved weddings like would love to you know let's all work together on this and and so it was serendipitous in that here we had someone who we'd worked with closely who is essentially a coach and a mentor um, and wants to partner with us and was also the one that was willing to give us the seed investment to start Zola, um, we thought, what an opportunity, let's do it. And and so that's how we got started. Um, Kevin put in the seed amounts and, and we just started building and found Felix, our CTO and co-founder and another engineer and one merchandising person and the five of us really became the core team to build Zola over a couple of months towards launch. In the lead up to launch, we had started to think post-launch, we would probably then go out and start talking to investors about a Series A. And what happened was that um, we were starting to think about who we might talk to, set up meetings. Um, One of the in firms we met was Thrive Capital. And 
it was interesting in that they had also been thinking about the wedding space and they had put together a study internally around what did they think was missing in the wedding industry and for wedding registry specifically, specifically, what did they think would be a product that solved the needs of couples today? And I think, you know, um, Josh Kushner and Kevin Ryan have known each other for many years. And so, you know, when Kevin shared this was something that we were working on, Thrive was excited to talk to us about it. Uh, and in meeting with them and actually even seeing the study that they had put together before we met, it was clear that we were both really aligned on what we thought the needs and pain points were and how we might possibly solve them. And so it was remarkable because they had done a lot of work around our space to think about it in our business before we had met, which is rare. And, and so very quickly, um, you know, after just meeting with a small number of firms, decided to go with Thrive for our Series A. And it was a bit unusual in that we ended up closing the week before we launched the product for the first time. Uh, so it, it moved much faster than we expected. I see. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess that you as a founder, you know, sp- you know, spoke with a number of potential investors and, you know, seeing that Thrive, the Thrive folks had a prepared mind, so to speak, on this arena and that you were kind of aligned this did it make it something of a no-brainer given their reputation and how much they thought about it i think that definitely helped a lot i think the other thing that um that is always helpful in in guiding a team like ours to figure out who is the right venture partner is um what are the other types of companies that they've invested in and what have they added to those companies? And I think for us, um, in speaking to some of the other companies in their portfolio, like a Harry's or a paperless post, uh, it was clear that there was a lot of uh, meetings of the mind in terms of how, you know, for example, the Harry's founders think about managing, growing their company and partnering with Thrive that I really admired. Right. So you, you did some diligence, spoke to some of the founders that they had backed, and uh, you liked what you heard. Yeah. And, and actually learned in that that you know, the, the reference calls of talking to other portfolio company founders and CEOs was was potentially one of the most important pieces in figuring out who the right VC partner is for your company. Got it. Um, and then, and then, so you you raise your Series A kind of alongside the launch, or right prior to launch, you launch, and then you've done two subsequent rounds. What? How did that? You know, how was Series B different from A? How was Series C different from B? <laughs> Give us a sense. <laughs> So Series B, uh, I think I heard a lot of people say this, but it really rang true for me in that the Series A for us, because we were launching after we had raised the Series A, it was more about the product vision and the team. And then the Series B became a lot more about the unit economics of the business, the growth, and really the data and the evidence we were seeing in the business that this could be a multi-billion dollar business. And so where, you know, in the 
first one to two years, we had focused year one on let's make sure we really are seeing product market fit. And then year two, let's make sure that the unit economics work at the end of year two, which was when we did our series B, um, we could show both of those things, but it was certainly different in how much data and analysis we needed to put together to demonstrate those two potential investors. And, and so the process there was really a meeting with a handful of New York and Silicon Valley based investors, getting a sense of who, which partner within which firm actually has both experience in the type of business we're looking to create, which is a combination of a marketplace and an e-commerce business model, as well as who is passionate about what we're doing and is aligned with us in our vision. And and it, it ended up that the person we picked in the end, um, Paul at Canvas Ventures, had both of those in spades in that he, um, one of his investments previously was Hal's, which is a company that we admire greatly. And they have really set the gold standard in, you know, uh, being a, a great marketplace for home design. Uh, and, and he personally, it turns out has long been thinking about weddings mm. as a space. And so, and was really excited, uh, to share everything he's been thinking about. And so that excitement and passion about our space and our business model, um, was something that we really gravitated towards and has, has been hugely valuable in, in, um, bringing the Silicon Valley perspective to us where we're a, a you know, primarily New York-based company. And so having that diversity of both New York and Silicon Valley-based investors, I've found to be really helpful. Right. And, and you've spent time on the West Coast. I know you went to Stanford. Uh, are there that many uh, Series B funds in the New York City anyway? Or did you immediately recognize you need to diversify, get out to the West Coast as, as well for this stage of the company. And, and I would throw Series C in there as well. Series B, we wanted to go to the West Coast because, well, for, for the reason you mentioned, we wanted to make sure we were talking to people who where series B was their sweet spot. And it does tend to, there does tend to be more of those types of firms on the West coast. Um, what's interesting is that, uh, there are also a good number of firms in New York who do do series B as well. So it's not that there aren't enough, uh, but I think that just, there are, um, differences in, in the way that these firms think about series B or even whether they consider it, um, part of their earlier stage venture practice versus their growth stage venture practice. And I think it it's, differs according to each startup and where you are in stage of growth, where you are in terms of revenue. And for the most recently announced Series C, uh, real quick, how did that all come together? What, what happened there? So that one was a, a little different in that we had been getting a lot of inbound interest, so hadn't been planning to raise, but because we had people who were wanting to um, move us <laughs> through their process, mm -hmm. decided to, to talk to a handful of people more seriously about it. And then in that, um, 
in that short process ended up getting a lot of interest based on, I think, in Series C now, kind of a year and a half after our B, we were able to show that we hit the numbers that we had laid out in our Series B and, and for the most part exceeded it. And, and so we either hit it or beat the numbers. And that was now, as I hear from VCs, extremely rare in the startup space because um, you don't often see startups being able to predict exactly what they would do in their business 15 months before they do it. So that visibility... Uh, forecastability of the business actually ended up um, working working well in us being able to say we can actually now project with a lot of confidence what we're going to do in the next one, two, three years. And, and so this is where we would invest any incremental funds and this is the payback that we would get. And so being able to show that is something that we were able to do in the C with a lot of confidence because we had all the data from, from the last three and a half years. Um, and because of that, had a lot of interest um, and a lot of great firms to pick from, ended up going with Lightspeed. Again, you know, really based on what we saw from the team, their passion and vision being aligned with ours for Zola, um, their experience in marketplace and e-commerce businesses, and quite frankly, the references that I spoke to on the consumer team there were really blew me away. It's mm, tremendous. Congratulations on that. And, and thanks for sharing that piece. I mean, relatedly, um, you know, and this is a big sort of interest in, uh, of mine, uh, sort of observing and participating in the New York City ecosystem over all these years, you know, that cycle that everyone talks about of, Founders building up their companies, having success, uh, developing, you know, an enormous amount of insight and learnings over those times, and then sort of getting involved in early stage investing themselves and sort of backing the new founders of the next generation, you know, and just like you've been, you, you know, you were talking to Kevin Ryan early on and he had his double clicks and all this stuff and, you know, you benefited from from his mentorship. Now I understand that you've been dipping a toe into the next phase as well. You know, sort of taking, making some early stage bets. Just this show is all about investing in venture studios. So, mm -hmm. and so many people listening, I'm sure, are thinking to themselves for years. Uh, one day I'm going to start investing. Um, so how are you? Give us a little window into how you're thinking about it and how you've approached this. So the way it started was organically, I imagine, as many entrepreneurs start angel investing, which is one of my close friends who I had worked with for many years at Guild started a mobile um, startup. And I thought, well, he is the best mobile engineer that I know. So I would love to bet on him. Mm -hmm. And so did a small investment in that and found that um, – Actually, the minimum amount to invest in a startup is much lower than I had previously imagined. And it was interesting in the amount that I learned at, both in talking to him about how he was thinking about his startup fundraising and growing his team that just helped me think about different ways I could 
work on Zola. And, and, and then the last thing is it was just fun to get to think about other businesses, you know, for an hour on the weekend and kind of as a mental break from the 24-7 of your own startup. Um, so we started then seeing more people that I had worked with start more companies and thought I must be in a pretty rare and privileged position to be able to have seen these people work, work alongside them, understand what they're great at, and now get the opportunity to potentially invest where not many people have that advantage. And so why don't I take – why don't I um, – take the opportunity to do it with more people that I believe in. And so it's really been 18 months that I've been doing it for now, not very long. Yeah. Um, have invested in about four startups and, and a great deal of those, actually all of them are started by people that I know either because I've worked with them before or because we went to school together and we can work together in a school context. And, and that's really phase one for me, learn, dip my toe in the water. And what I'm starting to think of now is at some point it does make sense for me to invest in people I might not know and, and, and be forced to, right. <laughs> to kind of go outside that, that um, space. And so what, uh, what would that look like? How would that work? And I'm starting to think that if my expertise is really in consumer startups or startups that serve consumer or e-commerce companies, so B2B startups that serve e-commerce companies, um, that's where I can add more than, than others and, and have unique insight um, to provide to the founder. And so uh, that's probably the space that I would focus on not that I have that much time to focus on it. Right, right. No, no. But this is this is great. It's 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 some insight into how you're dipping a toe in over the years. You, it sounds like yeah. you're starting with, uh, dare I say it, the guilt mafia, the, the developing guilt mafia. Um, you know, New York is is spawning its own little mafias. You know, uh, yeah. Here, Etsy and Guilt and so many others now, um, and going with what you know. I mean, we had uh, Jerry oh. Newman uh, on. Recently, here he was a guest. He's just a long time, consistently investing angel and VC here in the city, and former founder. And that's kind of what he was recommending in, in, in some of his comments and some of his writings over the years. Like, start with what you know, you know, start yeah. with what you understand very deeply, uh, and just go deep into it because you know all the players, you know all the dynamics, all the nuances, and you can you know, share that with, with other people. And it's not a one-way street, as you've said, right? It's sort of like you're learning as well um, from, from, from these folks who have deep expertise in, in what they're working on. So that's what he says. Just, just start with what, don't worry about it. Just start with what you know. And it's amazing how, how you, you, that too deepens over time. Yeah, and one tip that Annie Kadavi, who is, is at CRV, um, has shared, which I really love this tip, is because it takes so long um, in venture investing to really understand whether you made a good decision, the, the earlier you start, the earlier you can get that feedback loop. Um, but what 
she recommends, which I've started doing because I think it also helps a lot with the decisions that I then make with my team on Zola and how we think about future strategic direction and expansion is this, is when you um, meet a team or a company or, you know, are talking about an idea to really jot down what is your conclusion. So, for example, in the angel investing space, you know, jot down, okay, I met this startup, I met this person, here are my initial thoughts, here's why either I did or I didn't invest. And then over time, you can kind of see, maybe in a shorter amount of time, very quickly, what was your reaction or decision and did it end up proving to be right or wrong? So, for example, if you say, you know, I, I have questions about this particular startup because the unit economics or the business model doesn't work, you may be able to actually get feedback on that in, in three to four years rather than seven years. And so that um, that way of, kind of really recording your decisions and holding yourself to those of whether you were right or wrong, I found um, I want to start earlier and actually do it in both Angel and also my own business. The journaling aspect. I've never heard that. This is fascinating. I'd love to get a peek at that diary in three years. Oh, my God. All these thoughts. Um, this is great. Uh, and let me ask you this. Are you, are you seeing some, some good deals? Are you impressed with what, what you're seeing? Um, what, what, what's your sense of, um, you know, the, the NYC landscape right now? Oh, I think it has... has um evolved in a really exciting way in the eight years that I've been in New York. So I moved from Silicon Valley to New York to take the job at Gilt in 2008 as the first product person and was trying to find other product people who worked in New York so we could have product type meetups and was really finding it hard to find a critical mass of other product people at that time. And now that's not a problem at all. You have actually a great number of people working in product on their own startups. And in fact, every you know tech meetup that you go to, you see hundreds or thousands of people that have been doing this for years who are, um, who are great talent and are excited to either be you know, working on the problems that they're working on or thinking about new problems they could work on. And that energy I found... Um, really, I've gotten to sense more in the last, say, four years, uh, four to five years, where I didn't get that sense in the, you know, 2008 year when I or 2009 when I was really trying to to find it. Uh, so for that reason, I think the startup scene here is going through a particularly exciting time and, and I want to be a part of it in any way I can. And the um, what you do see is people who have now worked at first generation New York tech companies, or maybe I should call them second generation. So companies like Gilt, Quidzy, um, Etsy, who are now starting their own startups and really pulling on what they learned at those big companies or <laughs> relatively big startups mm -hmm. to to almost have a second run at the problems that they tried to solve uh, for the last four years. And so that 
I think is is um, giving us a lot of exciting startups that that have a real advantage because of New York's history in e-commerce, which is the, the area that I've seen the most. Um, so, for example, one of the startups that I was lucky enough to be able to invest in is Flow, which is started by this ex-CTO and co-founder of Guilt Group, Mike Brzezik. And he is trying to make shipping internationally for e-commerce companies as easy as shipping within the U.S. And so having um, dealt with <laughs> international shipping at Guilt and, and seen it at other e-commerce companies as well, um, anyone who's tried to do that knows that it's a huge pain as an e-commerce company to try and ship to different countries. And, and so you, it's just much easier to say, we're just going to ship it within the U.S., and I think flow is is really an elegant, simple take on trying to solve that problem that Mike has um, unique visibility into because he worked on international shipping at Guild, amongst many other shipping projects. That kind of startup, I think we're going to see a lot more of, or we are seeing a lot of in New York. And that's something that I think New York has a particular advantage in. That's one area that, that uh, we're very strong in. Um, Wow, this is extremely encouraging, um, you know, to hear. Because I know you, you know, you were out on the West Coast for a while. You were at Yahoo back in the day, yes? Yes. <laughs> so you, you were out in Stanford and, and worked in product at Yahoo for quite some time, yes? Correct. Learned a great deal, actually. Learned, learned, um, learned how to do product management from the best product people that, uh, that I think are out there, and and so some of them now, you know, are at places like um, someone was the global product officer at Expedia, John Kim. I really got to train in product under him. Was extremely fortunate. He now is at running Home Away, and and so the the training ground that Yahoo was for product people is was really something that I'm grateful for every day because it showed me how do you really solve problems on behalf of users um, in, a, in a rigorous way that you're constantly holding yourself to the highest possible standard when it comes to product development. Well, and let's, let's not leave Zola out of the mix. There's probably um, a lot of future leaders being apprenticing and learning and helping within the Zola family now. You've got You've got. I, I was there. I visited you a month ago or so. The energy in there and the vibe is fantastic. Um, what, let me ask you this: What, if you don't mind, what you you and sort of the values and culture uh, that you've you and your co-founders have infused in in Zola? What can you give us an insight into what what you're building there? Because I could tell it's very special. Oh, thank you. A couple of things. Uh, Nobu and I spoke about when we first started Zola when it comes to values and culture, we continue to talk about and they continue to be really important to us. And so one of them is the idea of um, ultimately we would love to see people who have worked with Zola at some point, you know, after their four years at Zola, go on and start great 
startups themselves based on what they learnt from Zola, um, and and so you know our impact on New York and the U.S. is not just through Zola as a company and as an organization, but it's it's multiplied now because then each person that worked with us gets to start their own thing and employ more people and so on. So, um, and so for us, it's important for us to think about how can we provide great training as we're building this business in how to think about product development, how to think about um, building sustainable business models, providing best-in-class customer service, um, operations that scale. And so each of these things, we we are very transparent to the team on. We go through all the numbers that we've seen in the business every week in the all-team meeting, talk about what are the challenges in each function and how are we attacking those. And, and so I think as a result, our team has a great insight into the things that we work on and think of and and broaden their view outside of just, say, engineering to, oh, here's actually what a great merchandising team and person looks like. And so if I were to ever start a company in the future that requires merchandising, I have a good sense of, of what good looks like. Um, so that's one. And then the other is we uh, purposely have designed Zola to, to not require a large army of people because we found that the way this becomes um, a sustainable, profitable business is to build things like the dropship model, like the ability to minimize returns through customers being able to control when things are shipped to them. And so for that reason, don't need the thousands of people that some other e-commerce companies might need. So right now we have about 52 employees. Um, up from 36 employees a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of growth rate of, of adding, you know, 10 to 15 a year is, is really nice. And it's, it's a luxury to be able to, to just take your time to really pick the right person for every single spot. And, and as a result, we can emphasize this is the hiring bar that we have we have so few spots that every person makes a huge difference on the company so let's make sure we're picking the the best possible person for every role that we have and and let's let's all um make sure there's no one out there that could possibly be better because we only have 52 roles so so that's a, a key value and then the last thing is the fact that we've worked together and we've chosen to work together again there's a level of trust of a language that we speak around how can we move fast as a company, get things out there with high quality without all the usual kind of levels of approval and and back and forth that you might see from a group of people that are still figuring out how they work together as a team. So that speed and trust is is another core value that we – we hold very close to our heart. Sean, uh, I'm, we're going to have you back. There's so much more to talk about. But uh, let me just say uh, congratulations on, on what you and your team are building at Zola. Thank you for being so thoughtful and helpful to the startup community. Thank you for coming to our classes at Columbia and helping the next generation. Uh, it's just a real pleasure. And we'll have you back, my friend. Thank you. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. 
you around, give you a taste of the business, you know?